0: pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode continues our Woman of Influence podcast mini series and features an interview with Courtney Polos, owner slash broker of Acme Real Estate and co founder of Acme Florida. During the interview, Polos discusses the competitive state of the real estate market and shares some advice for both agents and women considering real estate investment. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor.
1: Finance of America Companies offers an end-to-end vertically integrated lending platform in the industry, delivering financial solutions for every phase of life. With a proven ability to innovate towards evolving needs, and an unwavering focus on the customer first, last, and always. Finance of America Companies empowers borrowers with a diverse suite of services in traditional and reverse mortgages, commercial real estate loans, home improvement, and more. Visit www.financeofamerica.com to learn how Finance of America is pushing dreams forward and find opportunities to join their incredible team. That's financeofamerica.com. Finance of America Companies is an equal opportunity employer.
0: Hi, I'm Brenna Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at Housing Wire. We're continuing our Women of Influence Spotlight Podcast mini-series where we're going back and interviewing the women of influence over the years who are continuing to make a difference in the lives uh, people and in the housing industry, the real estate industry today. So first off, right now, I have with me Courtney Polish. She's the broker owner of Acme Real Estate, but she's also recently the co-founder of Acme Florida. So first off, thanks so much for joining me, Courtney. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, for those who've been listeners for a while or also listen to girlfriends, this is I've had the pleasure of chatting with Courtney before and going over your Women of Influence Award profile. And even since we last chatted, you've done quite a bit, including what I just listed in your title, which has become a new co-founder of a new operation in Florida. So, I mean, not to give a spoiler, I'm sure there's a lot more there, but can you share some of what you've been up to since we last chatted? Absolutely. So... Like you mentioned, we
2: have expanded the brand to Central Florida. I'm very excited about it. We're still kind of putting our team together. We've got nine agents right now, and we are curating all of our listings and our marketing material and all the stuff that makes Acme Acme uh, for the East Coast Effort. And so that's like an ongoing work in progress. But I really realized that there was a need for what it is that we bring to the Los Angeles market in other markets. So this is my first experiment with expansion. And so far, it's going so well. Heather Unger, who is an Orlando native, is my partner, and she's amazing. So she's on the ground, and we're like, you know, working Acme Florida trying to hit exactly the right note for this market. And Orlando is like crazy, booming market. A lot of people are leaving California and moving to Florida and Texas. So it seemed like a perfect time to start creating products that people who are from California or New York might really love to see. So there's that. And then we opened a second office in Los Angeles. So we now have two offices in Los Angeles and 46 agents. And I'm very proud that My two top producing agents, Dominique Madden and Silke Fernald, are now broker associates and they've moved into leadership of the West Adams office. So we're putting women in leadership positions in the
0: company and, you know, there's a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like at this point in time, that's an understatement, which is great because I wanted to chat with you. You are you have a great view of what is happening in the, the housing market. I think people hear all different types of adjectives when it comes to what's currently going on in the housing market, where they see things headed. So from your perspective as an expert in the industry and someone who's closely, especially watching the Orlando um, and markets in California... Can you touch on how you would describe the current housing market? Sure.
2: Um, interest rates are still crazy low, which has a lot of impact on the lower end of the market, the first-time home buyer part of the market. And in LA, that's been really pushing prices up quite a bit. I will say that inventory is starting to catch up a bit with demand, so you are seeing a little like, it was like 24 offers on every property. Now it's like five to 10 offers. Your buyers actually have a chance, but there are risks in that too. And that I feel like some buyers are just super addicted to the process and they throw offers out, but then like don't respond on counters or you'll get these really aggressive offers before you're on the market or like in the first week and then they fall apart. And then you have to be, you know what I'm saying? You have to be careful when buyers are accustomed to just throwing offers out at multiple properties, because it does put a different burden on listing agents in terms of doing their due diligence and making sure that your sellers are really choosing a solid offer. So the challenge hasn't been getting the offers, it's been like picking the right ones, the ones that are going to close. So I've actually seen a lot of inventory improvements, which I don't mind, I'm happy about it, in Los Angeles, in Orlando. There's a different thing going on, which is vacation rentals are up. Um, the price points are so much more affordable that you can actually, you know, flip a house, for example, and p- turn a pretty good profit in highly desirable areas that have all the things that buyers want, like great schools and not a ton of traffic and excellent restaurants and all that stuff. So I see an opportunity for agents in Orlando to really like help their sellers get the most out of their properties. So Orlando's just now kind of getting into the space where they're starting to get it, that it's truly a seller's market. And how do we make sure that we're getting the sellers the maximum dollar amount? So there's like a new awareness coming to the Orlando market, um, which is, which is great. So the inventory is still low in Orlando as far if you ask an agent they'll be like there's not enough inventory. But from my eyes from LA it still feels like more. There's still more choices and like great choices at better prices. But LA, you know, it's a stable market. You cannot lose when you buy in LA. The market always appreciates there even if it there's a downturn or a settling or even like in the mortgage crisis of 2008. LA prices recovered super quickly. And those people who short sold or jumped the gun on selling or foreclosing or whatever are probably kicking themselves right now because they would be making a much bigger profit. Um, they, I think they jumped out too fast to be honest. So I feel like, you know, you can't lose when you're investing in real estate, but the, the markets are different overall. I think it's very healthy And I'm excited to see more new first-time home
0: buyers in the market. What does the flip side of that look like? So, like that, the answer to that, and my, it's a great kind of looks at you know the current housing market. And the flip side is rather than look at the borrower perspective, though, technically the answer does fit the borrowers and also the agents. But looking from the agent's perspective, how is this? I mean, it's extremely competitive right now, also for agents. So, how are agents staying competitive? knowing the current state of the housing market yeah that is a trick question
2: so we're a quality brokerage we're not a quantity brokerage and i do feel like there has been this influx of discount agents and discount apps and discount programs and those kinds of things that are causing sellers to want full price service at a discount so our job has been to really like be able to very clearly state what it is that we do that's better than our competition. And I think coming up with a way of enunciating, like your value proposition has to be very, very clear and you have to have evidence to back it up. Sellers think, okay, well, if I throw it up on the market, it's going to sell. You don't even have to do anything. But the reality is if you do that, you're probably leaving some money on the table. The marketing does matter. It's like creating a house and a product that buyers want to buy is what Acme specializes in and it's what I see goes by the wayside when sellers just choose random agents who aren't lazy. So you can't be lazy in this market and have a long career. I think it's a momentary sort of greediness kind of a thing to, to you know, we're just not those, we're just not those agents. So to me, being competitive means knowing your value, being able to very clearly address it with your sellers and, and knowing how much value you, what you're doing actually adds, being able to prove it. So having some evidence is great. Knowing that getting a little lazy or even rude in this market doesn't do you any favors. Like I've had a lot of weird interactions with rude agents, like people are just, You know, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if they weren't trained in ethics or what in the heck. But we're on top of that stuff with our agents. We have a rigorous 11 week training course for every single agent that joins Acme so that people can thrive in a like an easier market, like one offer, one house, or a competitive market. These people, the people who sell real estate, they don't go away. Like you're going to bump into them again in your field. So you got to make sure that you're being professional and kind and Even if it's a seller's market now and a buyer's market the next time, most of us who've been around for 15 years or longer know that you find yourself on both sides of that coin. So I would say don't slack on the marketing. Be very clear with your value proposition. Have the evidence to back stuff up and be willing to go the extra mile. That's what sellers are expecting. For buyers, you cannot get exhausted. Buyers have to look at a lot more houses than they used to, in order to win, you know, because of the competition. So I think that to be competitive, you have to remain engaged and and continue to, um, you know, inject energy into defeated buyers, you know, and come up with creative ways to get them a winning offer. Like, for example, we work with Homelite a lot. Uh, they have a trade-in program that allows sellers to buy before they've sold their current property so it allows them to make a non-contingent offer on the buy and I feel like that's probably the only way somebody in that situation could win in this competitive market you know because sellers won't take the sale of home contingency so you have to be creative and clear about your value switching
0: gears, something else that you're passionate about that you and I have chatted about is also finances when it comes to women. Yeah. And you talk about that when it comes to real estate, you talk about that, even you mentioned it earlier, when it comes to your own leadership at the company. So the first question I have, and then we'll dig into a little bit deeper is this idea, because you do, I mean, you have a book out there also about this. So kind of this idea of kind of start them young. So Mm -hmm. if you're sitting in a room with a group of high school girls they're about to start off their life trying to figure out what they want to do for their career or even to start budgeting. They maybe haven't before, what would you want to tell them before they go off to college and into the world? I love this question.
2: Yes, I do talk about it and break up with your rental. I feel like women who are about to enter the workforce need to buy real estate before they buy expensive shoes. So It means, you know, stop with, you know, I don't know about you, but when I first got to college, those credit card companies, they were right there. Their desks were right there. They were ready to give me that first credit card. And I was like, woohoo, free money. (laughs) And I paid for that mistake for like the next 10 years. My credit score was terrible. And I had all this like debt, terrible debt, like Avon Fashions debt, terrible. It's embarrassing. But anyway, (laughs) I think that we should do a bit more financial education because real estate is so transformative. So if I was sitting with a group of high school kids, I would say, "Okay, guys, you guys are all thinking about getting a job now. Let's see how you can set aside enough money to start the process of saving for your down payment. Even if you save $5,000 a year for the next four years, that's enough for you to do an FHA loan on a condo so that you know when you're in college maybe you're living in a condo that you own and then when you leave you hold on to that condo and rent it out to other college students partner with a friend partner with a friend's family talk to your family get your summer job save your money and buy the place that you're going to be staying in for your next four years if you're going to college that's one piece but Stay away from the credit cards right when you get out of high school. That's the second piece, and I think actually it would be really really cool to put high school students in touch with lenders, so they could talk to them about the reality of financing right now. So not everywhere is like Los Angeles. You know, there are a lot of cities and towns throughout America where you can still buy a house for 150 or 200 thousand dollars. They might not appreciate as quickly, but if you can leverage that and turn it into a rental property, for example. You know, that's a long term buy and hold and some money that you're not working blood, sweat, and tears to make every month, and that, you know, you can see a a profit, a passive profit from. So, real estate for most high school students is something that seems like what you're going to do once you get married and have babies and you're full time in your career. And I think that's the myth that we need to break. And financial education for high school students would be a great way.
0: Uh, to do that. That is such a great piece of advice. <laughs> no credit cards. Yep.
2: Save a little money. Let's go. I mean, really, I I always I don't know about you, but when I travel, I always look at what the prices are everywhere I go. Like I was just in Jamaica and I was looking at the prices in Jamaica. I like look at, you know, prices when I land in an airport in Dallas or whatever. I'm always looking because I'm like surprised by how affordable. The the houses actually are. I mean, with 3.5% down, if you're buying a $200,000 house, that's like $7,000 down payment. So if you're working a job, you know, you should be able to save that in a year and a half or so, I think, especially if you're living at home. Like if you're a high school student living at home, work a summer, you know, and a little, maybe a little more. And I think you should be able to save that. Now, speaking with a lender is going to tell you how your income will help you qualify, but there's no question that being creative at the very baby beginnings of whatever it is that you buy is key to it. Like for me, I needed to get a co-signer, I think for my first loan and they counted my, my um, ex-husband who was my fiance at the time as a roommate. So it was like, there was income, you know, like the, yeah, sometimes there are creative things that lenders can do within the underwriting boundaries that can help a first-time homebuyer figure it out. So I just think there is more than one way to skin a cat. And if people could see how much actual cushion it would give them in their 20s, for example, to to say I'm a homeowner or to be paying themselves rent while they're in college or to be thinking about these things before they get married, then that's going to get you to your dream home quicker whenever you do find you know, Mr. and Mrs. Wright.
0: It's that idea of starting the conversation early. And maybe this is a terrible analogy, but the idea of bringing loan officers into high school kind of reminds me in a a weird way of like the ski resorts that um, they they go to high school students because they're young and, you know, their parents are still paying for their, um, often their ski tickets or their snowboard season passes, but it's like this long-term investment. And it's almost the same with loan officers of like, you know, you're, they're probably not going to buy a home right away, but it's a long-term investment that if you could just bring the financial education, the awareness, because you don't talk to, you have these all these assumptions that you don't talk to too much later in life, but getting them on the stable footing early and just the realities around it, it's a long-term investment, just even for you and your business, but also in just the future success of the next generation. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. In fact, I think that what, I mean, if it's on my bucket list. I don't know if I can get to it this year, but Creating something like 4-H for high school students who are interested in real estate, I have as on, on my list of things I would love to do because I do really think that, especially if it's a student who doesn't want to go to college, which there are people who do not want to go to college or can't afford college, getting a real estate license can be life altering and you just have to be smart and teachable. Uh, you know, be able to read a contract and understand, have a good mentor and a good teacher to help you get it. And you really don't need to to have a four-year degree in order to succeed in this field. So I feel like it should be a career option for inter- kids who are interested in really making like life-changing money without getting all that debt from, from going to a, a four-year college. I mean, look, There are there are people who are saying that getting a degree is kind of like the equivalent of a high school diploma now because everybody has one. So I personally think understanding money early on in your life is gonna set you up to make much better financial decisions, but not just financial decisions, even like partnership decisions, you know, or residency decisions, you know. If you know you can afford to live in New York City because of your rental property in Orlando that you bought when you were eighteen like, hey, now you have freedom, you can do a thing that you really want to do and be supported by a a seed you planted early on. So to me, real estate just completely changed my perception of money. And what I the limitations I thought I had based on the socioeconomic class I started in. And I feel like that's the message that I want high school students to leave a little forum with is like, hey, there's a way to make this happened for you too. And it's not rocket science.
0: And speaking of the last question, I always like to ask during these women of influence interviews, especially because you are leaving the legacy in the industry. And you mentioned yourself that in your own company, you promoted women into leadership. So what do you think it'll take to get more women and more diversity into the industry? And then why do you think that's important?
2: That's a great question.
0: Um, I think in order to get more women into the
2: industry, all, all, well into the industry, I, I believe we're doing all right. I actually think licensees in California, women are are pretty um, may, may even be more than men in terms of actual numbers of licensees. But the problem is, the leadership positions, like the ownership of the brokerages or managing broker positions or C-suite positions, still tend to be dominated by men. And when I look at real estate, I think, yes, there's a financial component to it that's typically lived in the patriarchal, but there's also a holistic component to it. And that typically lives in the feminine. So bringing men and women to the table together is what's going to be key to our success. So for, for me, advancing women in my company is my way of, of contributing to adding more women to the table to have the conversations and to be able to stand on solid ground. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten the, don't you worry your pretty little head about it. or like, you know, Courtney, calm down, Courtney. Uh, you know, I will lose it. If somebody tells me that I need to like settle down, you know, which is just a typical kind of like patriarchal business device, you know, that just doesn't exist when you're dealing with people who are more in the equality space. So, I feel like women having a a strong, confident foot in leadership teaches the men underneath, you know, that are in the firms how to interact with women in leadership, which is key. And also it, it establishes some confidence in the way that we can defend ourselves against the old school patriarchal kind of silencing of women's voices. It's, still ongoing. I mean, if you look at cer- certain conferences and certain panels, you're like, wow, there's not even one woman at this table. It's kind of like the su- Supreme Court making decisions about women's rights. And you're like, hey, can there be a woman? Uh, you know, I know, obviously, Ginsburg, but it's like, can there be like, a, you know, how, how many men to, women mm-hmm. are making these decisions? You know, like, it's not equitable. And so I do feel like our industry has some of that going on. But I'm not afraid to go toe to toe with anybody, you know, so if you want to challenge me with arrogance, or any kind of patriarchal business leadership, you know, style, I can meet you at your level. But in an ideal world, there's a holistic into like an integration of the holistic, which is the part that is about home. It's about good energy. It's about, you know, feeling like we can create the lives we want to lead. That creative element is the feminine to me. and it needs to be injected into business more i think it's not just about money like we're a people business you know we're about people transforming their lives whether through real estate as a career or through the acquisition of real estate like our clients you know like our our job is to make people have success in their lives and be a part of that which is a huge undertaking and you can't do it if it's if if you're being diminished you will not excel in your position if you constantly feel like you have to ask permission for your creativity you know what
0: I'm saying am I being too
2: (laughs) I feel like I'm speaking in these like big generalizations but that's that's how it feels for me you know
0: Yep. And it's so, I mean, we hear kind of going back a few group points, uh, at housing wire, sometimes we call them mantles. Yeah. Um, and so getting, getting that diversity of voice and everything that you do and you, I mean, this isn't the first time that we've had the pleasure of interviewing you and just throughout, you know, in the past, your book, you have such a passion for telling the story. And so we always appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey. Now you, you just opened a new place. And so, um, I think that those are stories um, that are important. Yes.
2: And, and I, I, just in terms of diversity in general, I feel like that what you just said, telling the story, I feel like people have stories they really want to tell. And we've created a scholarship program at Acme in Los Angeles. To bring people who are interested, like recent graduates who are interested in real estate, into the company, teach them, train them, and you know, and hear their story to add even more value to what it is that we do. I mean, I'm all about it. Like, I feel like there is no other way in America right now that costs $200 where you could actually make game-changing, life-transforming, wealth-transforming, class-transforming money and so any way we can bring in people who are smart and feel motivated to help other people i feel like there should be a space for them so we are definitely all inclusive and trying to even bring in younger people from the communities that we serve and really make it make it be all of our stories of diversity and in moving into leadership so there's always an opportunity there to reach out and affect more people. I love training agents because I feel like it it takes it out of the classroom training at a big brokerage where you're a number into the human part of what it is that it makes you uniquely you. And if you can figure out what truly moves you in this field, it hopefully it's not just money, but it's the it's money is the bonus, but it's the other parts, the service parts. The legacy parts. if you can find that space then i feel like you're bound for success and so my job is to
0: create those spaces for the agents that i serve courtney it's always been a pleasure to chat with you about the things that you're passionate about and your recent endeavors in the industry you are i mean with the women of influence podcast many series is to spotlight the women making a difference making a lasting impact in the industry and i think that's the key as I go through these interviews, it's this lasting impact more than just the year. So it's great to interview again, see what you're doing, and hopefully this isn't the last time we chat. I would love to chat again. Thank you so much. Perfect, thanks Courtney.